Welcome to the Very Well Mind Podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. I'll be chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving your mental health. We'll delve into topics such as friendships, managing difficult relationships, and most importantly, how to cultivate belonging and support in our lives. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Nitika Chopra is the founder of Chronicon, a media and events company dedicated to elevating the lives of those living with a chronic illness. Nitika was diagnosed with psoriasis at the age of 10 and psoriatic arthritis at the age of 19 and lived over 17 years of her life being defined by her conditions. In 2010, she decided to take all of the lessons her health journey had taught her and use them to help others. Nitika is also the host of the podcast, Thriving Together, which is available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow her on Instagram for daily inspiration at Nitika Chopra and at Chronicon Official. Hi, Nitika. I am so excited to be having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being on today's show. Oh my gosh, it's such an honor when I got the invite to join you for this conversation. I was like, can it be tomorrow? I'm already so excited. Anytime I get to spend time with you is like such a gift. Uh, same, Nitika. I'm so excited to talk about so many things with you. But first, I actually want to share with listeners that a few months ago in May, I had the wonderful opportunity to speak at Nitika's Chronicon conference. And it was one of the most moving conferences that I have ever been to. It was so nourishing, so community-filled, so inspiring. And it's truly something that I want people to be connected with, whether you have a chronic illness or not. And so, Nitika, can you tell people about Chronicon and what made you start it? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to give you a major shout out because I mean, you know, I've already told the story so many times, but, but last year I had such a hard health year and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do Chronicon because it's such a huge undertaking. And I just remember you and I were still like new friends and I was like calling you chatting and you were one of the first people that I had asked to be one of our speakers. I felt so nervous asking you because I really wanted you to say yes. And I didn't know you at the times we were introduced by a mutual friend. And I remember calling you in the middle of last year being like, girl, I do not know if I'm going to be able to do this. And I feel like it's so important to say that, right? Because especially when we're talking about mental health, there's just so many people that can look at what we accomplish or what we do, you know, on the gram and stuff and be like, oh, she, that must have been so easy. No, it was not easy. And I called Mina and I was like on the edge and you, you said to me, well, Nitika, I'm going to be there on the day. So you got to get it together. I'm here for you. Even if it's just me and you, like we're going to be there. It's going to be great. 
And I can't tell you how many times during that year of like every day, just one brick at a time, making it happen, building it really from the ground up. I thought about that and I was like, okay, I don't know if we're going to have food. I don't know if we're going to have catering. I don't know if we're going to have gift bags. I don't know what we're going to have. I don't know how this is going to happen, but Mina's going to be there. And you know what? That's going to be amazing. And I know her and I, We'll have a great time. Yeah, it was just such a gift to me. And I had started Chronicon back in 2019 after I had already done about like nine years or so of content creation. I had done my own blog for a long time, my own online magazine. I had done work in like media and television and stuff like that, but it had always been around beauty and skincare. I love those things. They're like fun. And I kind of think of them as a creative outlet sometimes, but they weren't getting me to the depth and the heart that I really wanted to get to with people. And so after a while, you know, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people go through this where it's like the thing that's so obvious that's right in front of you (laughs) is the thing that you're meant to really be focusing on. But I think sometimes it seems too obvious that you're like, no, there's no way that that's the thing. And I had been dealing with my health and had chronic illnesses since I was 10 years old. So over 30 years now. And it's the thing I know more than I know anything. I don't know anything more than I know what it's like to live with a chronic illness. And so all of those different things, my personal experience, my professional experience, all of that just had me be like, okay, I think I'm going to do this thing. I don't know what I'm doing exactly, but I think I'm going to do it. And it's like the love of my life. That's what I always say. It's truly the love of my life doing this work. And I'm so glad that you're doing this work. I think it is reaching so many people. I think hearing your story and just being able to witness it unfold has been such a beautiful thing. You know, this season we're focusing on the power of community. And I love that you're sharing with people that we were new friends. I want to share with everyone that Nitika was the one who made the first move. I did. She slid into my emails and was like, hey, Mina, I really just want to get to know you. Can we chat? And I was like, you know what? I want to get to know you too, Nitika. (laughs) Oh, my God. The amount of awkward first experiences I have had with friends that way. So many of my friends in my phone can be like, yeah, Nitika basically told me she wanted to be my friend. And then we became friends. I'm like, I don't know how other people make friends, but this is the only way I know. I see someone, I think they're amazing. And I'm just like, why aren't we friends? Like, let's let's do this. You know, I just don't think that has to be that complicated. You put yourself out there, you know, and sometimes that's what we have to do when we think of building community. But Nitika, I think there are so many people who are listening who they themselves struggle with a chronic illness. And... When you are experiencing health issues and there's something happening to your body or the different things that you're just dealing with in life, it can really impact community building. It can impact building and sustaining healthy relationships. And so I'm just curious to know a little more about your journey in the concept of you dealing with your own chronic illness and how that has helped you shape community? How has that helped you shape the friendships that you have? Is there anything that you can offer listeners who they themselves feel like, you know, I'm struggling with this illness and I really don't know how to build a community of support and have people in my circle 
Can you give them some insight on how you were able to do that? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. The first thing that comes to mind is honestly like building friendship. Although people think it comes really easily to me. It's actually been like one of the hardest things in my life. And it's only become easier as I've gotten older, which hopefully this will resonate with folks out there who are living with chronic illnesses. As a kid, I was constantly trying to be like the person next to me or even just fit in, right? You just want to fit in. You just want to be like all your friends, all the people that are in your class. If you're playing sports, all the people on your team, whatever it might be. And I never fit in that way. I was never like anyone around me. And when you have a chronic illness, a lot of times, even though I have other, especially women in my family that have chronic conditions, no one else has the conditions that I have. And I would walk around in my initial stages, almost the first two decades of me having psoriasis, which was the first illness I got. And then I got psoriatic arthritis. And now I have myasthenia gravis. My psoriasis for the first 17 years was incredibly visible. It was from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. And I had the experience of having visible and invisible chronic illnesses and disabilities. So that's something I think is also a very nuanced situation. So when I think about making friends, I was always trying to be like everyone else and my needs were different than other people. Also, to be quite honest, my perspective on the world is very different than the average person that I was sitting next to in my high school or in my college even, because I think I would see things in a much deeper, broader way because I had gone through such hard and challenging things at such a young age. And I hear that all the time with people in our community in Chronicon because they have this depth and they want true intimacy and they want real connection and they don't want it to be on the surface. And that doesn't mean that it has to be like dark or negative. They just want it to be real because what they're going through is really real. And so in a world where that surface connection that you see on social media is what so many people are either used to or are even more comfortable with, I constantly found myself having a hard time because I didn't want that. So I think what I've had to do growing up now, it's like even becoming friends with you. If you hadn't been open to like having our like two hour phone chats that we have, because <laughs> we also like meet at an event and have a cute time. It's right. not like we don't do that right. too, right? Like we do that for sure. But then we get back to like, what's going on with you? Okay. Like you have this amazing thing happening. How are you feeling about it? What's real? What is really happening in your life? Like, I actually really want to know. And a lot of people just don't have that with a lot of people. And then they're afraid to create that. So I think my biggest thing has been filtering out people now based on that. You know, if you weren't as open to that, it probably would have been an indicator for me. You know what? I don't know if we're the same in friendship. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean I'm better or I'm worse or anything. It just allows me now to see, okay, I used to get really hurt by that because I would like force it. And I would be like, oh, but I want her to be like this or she should be like this or this is what I need. So I'm going to try to make this happen. Whereas now I think I've been like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like I have friends, they just want to like get a dinner and then not talk for three months. (laughs) To me, that's not really friendship. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's something different, right? We know each other, right. right? So I think just really owning what is friendship to me. And honestly, sometimes that's hard because it's not what it is to everybody else. And it's also not maybe even what it is to like the people that you consider your closest friends. Yeah. Does that make sense? Of course it does. I just think it's so important for people to really take in the things that you're saying right now, because it's so necessary for this journey of just life and this journey of what it looks like to really build authentic relationships and connections. And I want to go back to something you said earlier around having both a visible and invisible chronic illness, because I think that is so important to talk about. Because there are so many misconceptions around what a chronic illness is. I think there also are people who pull out their measuring sticks and say, well, let's see if you really have a chronic illness. And if I can't see it, well, you're fine, right? Are you really struggling? Is there really support there that you need? And so can you talk about some misconceptions and even stereotypes that you see happening in the chronic illness community, but even if you can speak to your own experiences around that as well? Yeah. I mean, the whole reason why I wanted to start Chronicon is because I had this experience where I realized I constantly felt so alone with my chronic illnesses. I have a pretty active social life. So the fact someone like me is feeling alone means that somebody who isn't maybe in a big city or isn't necessarily surrounded by a lot of close friends and family, I can't even imagine how isolated they must feel, you know? So I was feeling very, very alone with my chronic illnesses. And then I kind of just assumed oh, maybe there aren't that many of us. Maybe that's why I feel alone. Because like, I'm one of a few, you know? And then I did some research and I saw that the National Health Council stated back in 2019, so this number is before the pandemic, that there are over 133 million Americans that we know of that have a chronic illness. And they were expecting Mm. that number to rise to 157 million by the end of 2020. Again, pre-pandemic. Wow. Right? So that's almost half the population of the United States. And it also doesn't include so many marginalized folks who don't have the support system to get to the doctor. Women, especially Black women on a regular, are not taken seriously by their doctors. They're told that they're hysterical. For endometriosis alone, it can take a Black woman up to eight doctor's appointments to get a diagnosis, right? So it's not even including those millions and millions of people that are out there that don't have the resources to see a specialist, to get the diagnosis, to actually get the help, right? And even still, it's almost half the population of the United States. So I got really fired up about it because back to your question about the misconceptions, I was like, wait a second, why are we treated like we're a niche market? we're treated like we're such a tiny, oh, those people, even when the pandemic happened. Oh my gosh, it made me so mad because people were talking about, oh, it's just for immune compromised and older people, right? Don't worry. I'm like, I'm sorry, half the population of the United States (laughs) is chronically ill. And like most of those people are most likely immune compromised because they're on some sort of immune suppressant and dealing with so many different complexities with their illnesses. And if they get sick, they're in so much more of a higher risk of getting other comorbidities. And I was just like, how can you talk about us? Like we just are a small population. We're not. 
So I think just off the bat, that has been such a huge thing. And that is the whole reason why I started Chronicon, because I want to turn that on its head. And the other piece I would say is that I think people assume chronic illness just looks one way. And I mean, we saw that when we were at Chronicon, but I feel like you see it every day. You don't even realize it. I was walking to go see a movie with a group of girlfriends who I just recently met. They live in my building and everyone was walking really fast. And I didn't make it about my illness, but I was like, y'all, I stroll. I don't walk really fast, right? Part of that is because of my arthritis, but I don't need to tell them that necessarily. But even things like that, they would have never guessed that the reason why I need to walk so much slower is because I'm dealing with my health in these specific ways. So I think it's about really helping people have that baseline of empathy and understanding and knowing that they don't know what people are going through. It's not always something like with psoriasis, it was so visible, but even still people discounted what I was going through because they were like, oh, it's just a skin disease. Even though it's a systemic issue, it's an autoimmune disease. It's so much more than just a skin disease, right? Whatever that means anyway. These are just some of the things that people just don't realize that it's a much bigger issue than people have any idea of. And I'm sure if they stopped and thought about it, they probably know several people in their lives or that they work with or even in their own family that are living with a chronic condition, but they don't necessarily stop to think about, oh, how is their life different? How do they have to like think about things 10 times more than I do because of their health? Yeah. And you know, you said something that really falls in line with this idea of self-efficacy and even self-advocacy where you said, hey guys, can you slow down? I'm just trying to stroll. It sounds so small in the moment to make a request such as, can you just slow down? You're walking way too fast for me. And in this line of work that I do, helping people really build self-efficacy, helping them become better advocates of themselves, what you are speaking to is a form of self-advocacy to literally be able to say to someone, I just need you to slow down. This is what it looks like to support me in this moment. We're all trying to get to the same place. So can you meet me where I am so that we can get there together? We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. I want to know, Nitika, how can people become better self-advocates in a world where some people feel too ashamed, in a world where someone might say, I feel too guilty to ask my friends to slow down. I feel too guilty to ask my friends to be aware Can you make sure the restaurant we go to has the wheelchair ramp? So what does it look like to advocate for yourself, to set those boundaries, to make requests and not feel bad about it, right? And so I'm wondering for people who are listening, what can they be doing to be better self-advocates, to teach people in their community what it looks like to show up for them and support them? Another beautiful question as well. I mean... There's so many things, but the first thing that comes to mind is I personally feel 
self-advocacy can be just as empowering as it is frustrating. Mm. And I think honoring that has been really important for me. As a chronically ill person, I don't think we should have to be the ones to be like, hey, can you make sure there's a wheelchair ramp? You've known me for 10 years. You know I'm in a wheelchair. So one thing is, I think if you find yourself having to do that a lot with certain people, I've had to just kind of distance myself from certain friends that don't actually make me feel like they want to know. It's different when they just don't know. Fair. Let's have the conversation. Let me let you know this is what I need. But there are those people in your life where you kind of get the sense, this person just does not want to know that I need this kind of help. Even the friendship thing, it's like constantly understanding what my needs are and then evaluating like doesn't mean everyone's going to fulfill all your needs that's not what we're saying but do they care that those are your needs i also think the whole thing about feeling guilty is a systemic issue the reason why we feel guilty is because we are in these systems of patriarchy in these systems that are beating us down and constantly having us feel like we are so much less than or insignificant than other people that could not be further from the truth. And I don't know if this is a weird analogy, but I think about this a lot. When I honestly think about someone who's pregnant and I don't plan on having my own children. And that's something I've been very vocal about for medical reasons and all these different things. But I think about like when I look at my friends who are pregnant and the care that they get, they are going through this physical thing They are giving their bodies over to create this life. It is taxing on their immune system. It is exhausting. It is all of these different things. And obviously it's for very different reasons, but there's a lot of symptoms that they experience in pregnancy that a lot of chronically ill folks experience too, in terms of fatigue and immune system issues and all of these different things. So I think about that a lot because there is a cultural understanding If you see someone who's pregnant, you will ask them, hey, oh, am I walking too fast? Or like, oh, do you need to take a seat? Or are you okay? Or, oh, you know what? We're going to go to this event. There's a lot of stairs. Are you going to be okay? How are you feeling today? Is your lower back bothering you because you're carrying the baby? You know what I mean? There is this cultural understanding. You don't even have to think twice about it. They will even throw you a party. And I think that's beautiful. I don't think that that should be any different. But I think that we as chronically ill folks deserve the same kind of cultural understanding. And so when it comes to advocating for ourselves, I think understanding that we aren't there yet culturally and we need to be the ones to say it. But the reason why I share that analogy is because if you start to think about it from that perspective and say like, okay, this is not just because I'm being difficult. It's because there's no cultural understanding for what I'm going through. And I have to be the one, which I get kind of mad about sometimes, not going to lie, but I still am going to do it. I have to be the one to help create that cultural understanding. I do. And then maybe in 10 years, I won't have to do it as much or however many years it takes. But we have to be the ones. Thinking about it from that perspective is really helpful. I also do think the spoon theory has been so helpful for people who are not chronically ill, who are in my life, who don't understand why I get so fatigued. Um, And the spoon theory, I'm totally blanking on the woman's name who started it, but a woman started it 
to help explain her energy level, essentially. She talks about how if a quote-unquote healthy, able-bodied person who doesn't have any health conditions wakes up in the morning, they will typically wake up with 10 spoons. So that's like full energy level. Someone with a chronic illness will wake up with like six spoons Mm. or maybe three spoons or four spoons, right? And then they'll have to spend time getting more spoons throughout the day. What are the vitamins I have to take? What is the infrared sauna I have to do? And the this and the that, all these different things I have to do in order to get a couple more spoons. Then that same able-bodied person might take the subway and maybe it's like one spoon for them. It's exhausting, but they're fine. When I take the subway, it's like six spoons. Mm. I get completely depleted when I take public transportation, especially since the pandemic. So it's just a metric system where I will literally have to say, yeah, I know that's going to take you one spoon. There's someone in my family I have to say this to a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. If this is going to take you one spoon to walk that 25 blocks, it's going to take me 12. And I only have three right now. (laughs) These are like all the things that I think about. And spoon theory really, really helps too for advocacy. Yeah. As someone who has worked in this field for over 10 years now, I know that the stigma is still very prevalent. I know we're making a lot of strides in the mental health community, but what you just talked about, right, that pregnancy analogy, I see it in so many different realms of mental health. And I love how you compared it to like chronic illness and how it shows up there. And it kind of made me think about the concept of postpartum depression. And culturally, when I see people give birth and they're experiencing postpartum, there's so much compassion. They just had a baby. Of course, they're experiencing psychosis or they're experiencing these things. And they just went through all of these changes with their bodies. And there's so much care. There's so much compassion. And then when someone is diagnosed with depression, it's like, well, what do you do all day? You're just going to work. What are you depressed about? I think as people, we move through society doing a lot of comparing. We move through society, again, pulling out that measuring stick and saying, do I owe you compassion? Should I offer you compassion? Because based off what I believe suffering is, you're not going through a hard time. You didn't just push out a kid. You're not nine months pregnant. And culturally, on a societal level, we've been taught and conditioned to believe that certain members of our society deserve care. And other people have to earn it. And I'm so happy that you said that because when you also bring in the intersections of race, class, gender, sex, all of that, that's an added layer that not only am I trying to be seen in this area of my life because I'm struggling with the chronic illness, now I have to fight for myself because of my gender. I have to fight for myself because of my race. And it can just be so exhausting. And so I'm really happy that you shared it in the way you shared it, especially because I know you started off saying this is going to be a little strange, but it wasn't strange at all. (laughs) Okay. Well, I haven't shared, I don't feel like I've shared that analogy with that many people. So I'm like, I haven't gotten any feedback about if it's weird or not, but it feels very true to me. You know, I think it is a wonderful way of helping us see the way we pick and choose who deserves our grace and care and empathy and compassion. Some of us are conditioned in our own family unit, and some of us are conditioned on a societal level. And I'm so happy that you brought awareness to it from that perspective, because I want to shift the conversation a little 
to find out ways that we can really practice community care and be better members to people who are struggling with a chronic illness. I also loved when you said earlier, like, if you're friends with someone for 10 years and they're still picking a restaurant or a location that they know there is no wheelchair ramp, it's not accessible at all. It's like, come on. How many times do I have to have this conversation with you? And I think so many people are learning in this day and age what it means to build healthy support networks. But I also think a lot of people are trying to figure out, well, how can I be a part of that healthy support network? How can I learn to be more mindful, compassionate, and caring? So I also love that you just shared that spoon analogy where it's like you were telling someone in your family, well, it takes you one spoon to do this, but it takes me six spoons to do that. And our family is often our first community that we're born into. So how can our family system be better advocates to people who are struggling with a chronic illness and really practice community care and be an intimate support system to people who are struggling with a chronic illness? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes up for me with family is that you're born into the family that you have. And so you can't always pick and choose. Like maybe you have chosen family, but it is more complicated. I have really close relationships with a lot of people in my family, but it's been a lot of work, I have to say, and it has not come easily. If I had just left things the way that they were and like the challenges that we were having and not fought for it, it would not be where it is today. I can say that for sure. But a huge part of that has been like, I've had to accept the way that they are too. And I actually think that's been a gift for me. For example, I have someone in my family who has totally different eating habits than I do. They eat very, very little. That's just the way that they've always been. But I'm not like that. I need my protein. (laughs) (laughs) I really need my protein. And so whenever I go visit them, I tend to feel very hungry and I'm taking a lot of medicine and I just don't feel great. I feel off balance because of that. And I've had to communicate that to them. I've had to let them know. But then I've also had to just take care of myself. I bring my protein shake now whenever I go. (laughs) I'm just like, you know what? I know now this person is never going to have enough protein for me. So in terms of how our family can show up, I think it actually comes a lot from us, again, advocating and letting them know like, hey, this is what I need. And then there has to be a point, I think, where we start to honor and accept them for how they are and who they are and say, like the person I was mentioning with the spoons, that relationship has been really challenging for me because we're so different. But I've recently had to understand, oh, this person just wants to have fun. I want to like braid each other's hair and like talk about our deep soul wounds (laughs) and where we were in a past life. That's like where I want to do. This person is like, can we just talk about where we're going to brunch and the latest whatever and maybe a cool podcast that we listen to? Like, I don't want to talk about all that stuff, you know? And so I've had to really accept and honor that's how they are. So I think it has to be mutual when it comes to our families. I think we have to learn and really go on a journey of acceptance with our families. And then it's a beautiful thing if we can rely on them, that they'll be there for us when we're really going through something. 
as someone who doesn't have children and I'm not partnered right now and I'm 42, it's like learning how to create an even deeper bond with my family as I've gotten older and also ranching out to cousins and aunts and things like that beyond just my nuclear family has been really healing for me. But yeah, I think it has to be like a two-way street. And I think sometimes we forget that because it's tiring. Yeah, it's absolutely tiring in many ways. And I think our family systems can be so conditioned to be one particular way due to tradition or just cultural backgrounds. And it's like, how do we teach our family members to show up for us and our unique needs? But then also, how do we meet people where they are and say, listen, I want to come over, braid each other's hair and do all these really fun things. Maybe go see the Barbie movie. Just do so many things. And you're on a different wave and your interests are completely different from mine. And what does it look like for us to compromise and be flexible with one another? So that this relationship can still feel very nurturing and caring. And so, Nidika, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I am so grateful that you are on the show and just sharing so much of yourself. I'm sure the listeners are going to have so many takeaways. My last question for you is a very general question, and I just want to know, what does community care mean to you? Oh gosh, it means so many things. Honestly, the first thing I think about when I think of community care is Chronicon's community. And it's not just because it's like what I do for work. It honestly got me through those months last year when I was having such a hard time. And I was able to lean on them. When I think about community care and think like, oh, what does that mean to me? To me, it's really about allowing people to show up and care for you as they're able and vice versa. So that's something we talk about a lot at Chronicon. It's like sometimes people don't have the energy to get on a Zoom or go for a walk or do all the things, but they have the energy to just comment and say like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. Meeting people where they're at, I think to me has been a huge part of community care. And I think there's a lot of trust and intimacy in community care, for me at least, that's a need or desire that I have with the people that I'm in community with. Mm, I love that, Nitika. I'm so happy that I get to be in community with you because you are such a wonderful spirit and person to be around. So thank you so much, Nitika. Lastly, where can people find you and how can they support your work? They can find me at chronicon.co or on Instagram at chronicon.official at Nitika Chopra. And I just want to say, you're such a beautiful interviewer, Mina. I love chatting with you. I'm like, can this be two more hours? (laughs) I just love talking to you. And you're so thoughtful, kind, and caring in the way that you ask all the questions. Thank you so much, Nitika. That means so much to me. And I'm so, so happy you are a part of this show today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. 
We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.